And McGilchrist says a right brain thinking culture is one that is going to be what's going to be the opposite of the one in which we live in. Because a right brain think, uh, right brain thinking, or dominant, because you can you, you need the left part of the brain too, but a right brain thinking culture is going to think large, not micro, macro. And when you think macro, then you think creation to me. And when you think that kind of macro and you think creation, then you should think God. And when you think God, you should think, or you could think, hierarchy. This is what the guy that Sean Domenchik, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Domenchik at newpolity.com. This is what Sean Domenchik is writing about at New uh, New Polity. That the left brain thinking, I mean, that, that the left versus right, that the left is by the way it operates, and we're stuck with left right, by the way, that the left thinks anti hierarchy, which means it thinks anti authority. It's ironic that it thinks anti authority. True authority, legitimate authority, because it so desires to act all authoritarian ee and stuff. And then Toby Rogers, you Toby, and on Substack has this total depravity. Here's what I'm wrestling with here, right? By now, it's abundantly clear that most people, upwards of 80%, just want to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. True story. Uh, Maggie Minutes in the background. <laughs> okay, fine, but there are lots of people one could obey. RFK Jr., one's pastor, one's personal trainer, Brain Brown, or the historical example of Gandhi, to name a few. Here's another one you left out, Toby. J.C., also known as our Lord and Savior. Just throwing it in. However, doing the right thing is not what excites most people. Rather, they want to be told what to do so long as it is violent or evil. That's where the frisson comes from, and that's what they want to obey. I think there is an evolutionary reason for this. And the competition within and between tribes, those inclined to follow violent leaders, did better than those who did not. Over time, society selects for sociopathy. Uh, 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 That's why nearly every developed country these days is led by a sociopath. (laughs) And as technology becomes more advanced, the scale of the harms inflicted by the sociopaths increases. It seems that critical thinking is a recessive gene. Critical thinkers are feared because we remind the biotech of what has been lost and what society lacks. Well, this would explain my lack of popularity then. So I'm just going to go with Utopian, and I'm just going to tell everyone, oh, how come? (laughs) How come you don't have many listeners? It's a big party. Because I'm critical. 
Because my right brain thinking is not popular. And I live in a world of left brain it left brain leaning idiots. That's why. It seems that, isn't that the Christian story, Utopian concludes? A decent guy comes along and says, hey, our values as a society are all in the wrong place. Let's be kind to each other instead. And the bougie-crats of that era were like, uh-uh, nope, 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 we can't have that, and nailed him to a tree. <laughs> and that story is universal. We can all relate to the notion of a society that rewards sociopathy and punishes Decency, health, peace, and gentleness. Big Pharma understands this dark side of human nature better than anyone, which is why they don't even try to hide the villainy of class five. Bill Gates, Frauchi, Albert Borla, Stephanie Banchell, and Rochelle Wilinski. If anything, they play it up, allowing them to dress in ridiculous costumes and having them be as evil as possible when they are on TV. These people were selected because of their sociopathy, not in spite of it. That's a signal observation there, I believe. People do seem to very much like sociopaths. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me look, I'm going to just think holistically for the rest of this program until Wim, Wim Hof gets here. Mr. Wimmer, think out loud. We'll flesh this program out right in front of your very ears. Where else do we see sociopaths and sociopathy? You know, I've made the distinction here on this show many, many, many times about people that are sociopaths. There are people that are pathos or pathological uh, 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 liars and what have you. There are killers that are psychopaths, and there are killers that are sociopaths. Uh, the sociopath is the is the one that's going to be the most prolific. A psychopath is going to have a breakdown, go postal, and that's probably the extent of it. A sociopath has no empathy. This explains how Gates and Schwab and Biden and all the rest of them, how they are able to sleep at night, as we say. No, uh, and when, even if someone reminds them of all the, the, the millions of people that they've killed, maimed, injured, lives ruined, it doesn't matter. They have no empathy. They truly can't relate because they're sociopaths. And because they're sociopaths, they're basically they're serial killers. This is why they are attracted to and ultimately all wind up being regal, evil regal, members of the cult of death. Because they fit right in. The cult of death is sociopathic. The cult of death rapes and maims four-year-old children and thinks nothing of it. The cult of death has breasts from 14-year-old children amputated, testicles, scrotums cut wide open, and testicles cut out of 15-year-old boys and thinks nothing of it. Just chalks it up to another day on the surgical table. And then goes on an advertising campaign and begins to promote it. 
These are acts that by their very definition are sociopath. They're sociopathic acts. The only person that it is possible to continue to commit them are sociopaths. Like the serial killer wacko, the two serial killer wacko women up in Canada that are being feted, F-E-T-E-D, on Canadian television for their success in killing 700 people via euthanasia, as they call it. It's murder. These people, these women are serial killers in the last four years. They are sociopaths. They do not have the capacity to feel remorse. Abortionists are sociopaths. Remember that lunatic, that Dr. Rachel Wing Ho, or whatever the hell her, her name is? Remember she was National Communist Radio did a big feature on her, how wonderful it was that she was going into pro-life states and murdering women soon-to-be-born children behind closed doors and against the law. And then hemorrhoiders put her on the cover uh, of its daily news magazine and showed and, and w- w- complete with a photo of an abortion, of a child's life, of a murder taking place, replete with a clear polyvinyl tube filled with blood and guts hooked to the extractor device, the woman's lower back arched up in the air, her left hand up in pain, horrid pain, and the insides of that poor child, whoever it was, inside that tube going into a biochem can. Blue tards lost it when hemorrhoid and people like us complained and went like, you need to take that to murder. You photographed, actually they videotaped it too. You and then you took a still shot of it. You photographed a murder and you published it like it was a child's sixth birthday party. And the doctor who delivered the child just happened to attend. These people and these acts are sociopathic acts. Helps explain it, doesn't it? Maggie was telling me earlier this morning that it's now becoming clear why the sociopath, the sociopathological killer via vaccines, abortions, contraceptions, and other evils, why Bill Gates is buying all this land here in the United States. He's raising his own genetically modified and supposedly genetically superior species of animals. Cows, sheep, pigs. And he plans... And he plans, once the genetic coding is finished, 
to start populating all this ranch land that he brought bought with these animals. He's already successfully released genetically modified mosquitoes in South Florida. Heaven only knows where that's going to end, what it's going to do, what it's going to cause. So I think in the early days, you know, Fiorella was asking me if I've given up my New Year's resolution. No, I haven't. Uh, in the early days of 2023, and today is the commemoration of St. Anthony, the abbot, who is the founder of, I want to say, the Cenobites. What a contrast. And Sunday was St. Paul the Hermit, who was so... <laughs> so uh, aghast that the world in which he was living in the 4th century and knowing the Christian faith as he did and the teachings of our Lord that decided, like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> I'm going to move out to the desert. And he did. He became, like, one of the desert fathers. And he lived in a cave, and a crow brought him a half a loaf of bread every day and had a palm tree that he got everything else from. Um, you start to make these comparisons here. Gates and Klaus Schwab and Fauci and Biden. And then you're reminded on a feast day like today of St. Anthony, the abbot, whose story was written by St. Jerome or St. Athanasius. Uh, and I didn't know this till I read it this morning. Like I said, I'm just going to ramble here during this segment. I didn't know this until I read this this morning, that St. Augustine read St. Athanasius' account of St. Paul the Hermit, and that was what inspired him to heed his mother's prayers, St. Monica, and convert. Did you know that? I didn't know that until this morning. Mike Church show here on the Crusade Channel Live talk radio, the way it should be. Just a quick programming note. Uh, because of the death of Father Melkin on Sunday, and because Father Melkin was living, uh, uh, was the religious uh, superior and father of Brother Martin Navarro, um, uh, and uh, uh, Brother Martin is living on, and Father Melkin were living on the property of our very own uh, Mike Parrott, uh, today's Paratalk debut will be pushed back a couple of days because they're dealing with the death of their father, of their spiritual father. they got to make funeral arrangements and, and all that sort of stuff. So if you're, if we were going to have it today. It was going to debut today, and Mike was going to record it. And I told him, dude, take care of what you got to take care of. Don't worry about us. We can wait a couple of days. We can even wait a week if we have to to uh, get episode number one. Just wanted to drop that in. So here is Let's go back to the new polity story. As we wind our way through this Tuesday morning. The terms I just I'm just intrigued by all this because it's it's stuff that we should all know, I think. 
The terms, I mean, since we're going to talk about right and left brains, then we should know why it's very different. Right side of your brain, left side of your brain, front side of your brain. It's all divided up into quadrants, I believe. Uh, our politics are supposedly divided up into right versus left. Interesting, isn't it? Right versus left. Here's where that came from. And, and, and the long-time listeners to Mike Churchill, you will know this. The terms right and left as the absolute dichotomy of modern politics originated in the days preceding the French Revolution. In the tense and divided National Assembly of 1789, partisans of the king gathered on the right side of the room, while partisans of the brewing revolution gathered on the left. Thus, they accidentally crafted the most influential seating chart in history, one still carefully obeyed to this day. And then he has some uh, description about why people complain about it. Is the branding of left and right obsolete? Actually, the very effort to set aside the left-right dichotomy is old news. Then he gives some, some examples. In short, there is no hiding from the left-right spectrum. The international press describes every political party, movement, activist, and terrorist in those terms. The church's laity have come to do the same. It is common to speak of Catholic journalists and journals as right-wing or left-wing. The only way to avoid this is to stay quiet about politics altogether. <clears throat> and then we're going to skip ahead. La nation, la loi, le roi. Now that's French for... That's French for... Uh, well, I know the last one is the king, the, the nation, the, the people, the king. If there's, any, if there's really any essential meaning to the terms right and left, we will find it by observing their history and those characteristics that remain consistent across time and space. And then, then he gives the tale of, uh, okay, let us return to the National Assembly of 1789. Here the right stands as for the Anshan Regime. The political power of throne, that's nobility and altar. De Maistre, the greatest thinker of France's reactionary right, wanted to return to the status quo ante the revolution. It's the way things were before the revolution. Arguing, the Latin lingo translated for you, uh, arguing that only these divinely instituted hierarchies could produce social cohesion. Is this the same right as that of Edmund Burke, a liberal conservative who watched events play, play out from across the channel? And then and he says, in Britain there was a still a, a monarchy and a state religion defended by Burke. And there's more on, the, on Burke. But he, this is where I think it gets interesting. Clearly the right cannot be reduced to a penchant for monarchy or integralism industrialism or imperialism, racial castes or traditional sexual ethics. But what is common to the kinds of things rightist movements love and defend is that they are all hierarchies upheld in the name of nature, tradition, and order. Burke and de Maistre may disagree about how powerful the monarchy should be, 
but they agree that a fundamentally unequal relationship between ruler and ruled is in harmony with human nature, an enduring historical form of antiquity, and part of finding our place in the cosmic order. Because of this love, rightist, which is almost all of you listening, rightists, whether maternic or Guizo, the American Confederate or the anti-bimetalists, the European fascist or the NATO anti-communist, all hate the forces of revolution and chaos precisely because they rebel against the various hierarchies. That is, necessary and natural systems of unequal power. This rebellion, whatever it appears, is an intentional political effort the right calls the left their ultimate enemy. Defined positively, the right is a modern movement which defines hierarchy for the sake of the common good, or defends hierarchy for the sake of the common good. Defined negatively, that is, from the perspective of the left, the right is a modern movement opposing the liberation of men and women from the fetters of their superiors, as Corey Rubin puts it, or Robin puts it. And then there's more on this. <clears throat> Let's go back to Dreher and Lane Gilchrist. Some people may think, this is really, it's over-the-top, silly, and hard to comprehend. No, it's not. When you start talking about hierarchies, you're talking about nature. Who's the author of nature? Well, God is. That's right. He's supernatural. So there, the earth was created in a supernatural fashion. There is a, as my old buddy Mark Chrysler like to say, baked in <laughs> to this planet. There is a natural order of things. Yesterday we talked about the soul. What's the soul? Principle of life and a created thing and a creature. People get hung up on, is a worm a creature? Yes, a worm's a creature. Is a protozoa a creature? Yes, a protozoa is a creature. It's cre it was created. Today, let's, let's just delve a little deeper into this. The right thinking, left thinking, right pol uh, political, left political. And see where we wind up in the middle. And see what may, be, what may have driven, the, in its madness, the city of Boston to pay some supposed artist $10 million for the MLK turd sculpture. Or, or dong, depending on how you look at it. Janet Huxley says people see a dong. <laughs> Maggie O'Connell says people look at it and see a turd. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to look at it and see Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King embracing what you're supposed to see, Mrs. O'Connell. Just because he eliminated torsos and heads shouldn't make a difference. Well, in the abstract, he yeah, abstractly yeah. <clears throat> got it to look like a turd. <laughs> this is madness. $10 million. And again, what could a city have bought? Wait, wait, what could anyone have done? What good could have been done for the poor with $10 million? They could have made a poor encampment. So, yes, 
They could have made a what? Uh, a poor encampment. You know how they make those little tiny, tiny homes for veterans? Mm-hmm. They could have made a tiny home campus or whatever. $10 million for a giant turd. They could have made a new, what was it when they took over Seattle? What was it called? Chaz? They could have made a brand new Chaz. <laughs> a black Chaz. With actual walls. With actual walls. 